Leviticus chapter 19. I'd like to read two verses. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that we would be um, tender before you and your spirit, that your word would come upon us in such a way that um, it would be rightly applied, first of all, Lord, and, and understood by, by me and, and the congregation, and that we would leave here as great beneficiaries of uh, you, our benefactor, in Jesus' name, amen. So the text is, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You may be seated. The first item in that list is, you shall not steal. Okay, it's the Eighth Commandment, and, and I think in the, when you look at this text, it is actually the hub sin, the hub sin here, and the other sins that are mentioned, they spoke off from this sin, thou shalt not steal, you shall not steal. And to begin, I, uh, I, can, I can say, I say you can steal, you can steal many things. You can take a person's property, his, his money, his animals, and land. When I was a kid, I confessed before, I stole some yo-yos from stores. I don't know, maybe I compiled five total yo-yos. I was sneaky. It was wrong. You see that, right? It was wrong of me to steal yo-yos, thank you. I also, though, when I was a later teenager, had my Schwinn 10-speed bike stolen from me. I saw it rush by a window as I was at work. Somebody rode off on it right under my nose. Those were stolen material things. But you can also take away a person's spouse or rob him of his reputation, or steal away the honor due him. More on that in a bit. And I know some of those things I just mentioned, wow, hello. Uh, I know some of those things I just mentioned sound like different commandments and that maybe I'm confusing the commandments because isn't robbing or stealing a wife adultery and isn't uh, attacking a person's character, doesn't that maybe fall into the realm of bearing false witness? It could, both can, but it still breaks the Eighth Commandment, which forbids theft. And I think one way to determine whether something qualifies as stealing is to ask if the thing is something one might covet. If you might covet the thing, then surely there's a way to steal it. We get it, though. The concept 
of stealing is to take what doesn't belong to you. Now, I've got three points I'm going to share. The first point is a grammatical point. It's a little bit of house cleaning, so you know where I'm going here in Leviticus 19. Because you find repeated over and over again these proclamations. I am the Lord your God, and I am the Lord. He says this many times. And I intend uh, in weeks to come to let those kind of serve as bookmarkers as I preach through the rest of this chapter. Those sentences remind us of the reason for keeping the various statutes. You do these things because you belong to God, is what it says. You do these things because you belong to God, and He wants you to be like Him. As S.R. Hirsch explained Man is, not, man is not to imagine God out of himself, but to conceive and mold himself out of God. So these bookmarkers tell us, portion by portion, that we are to be imitators. Okay, so point two, getting into the meat of this, today's portion, verses 11 and 12, points our attention to the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. A little more on stealing. Stealing can be done by force, which is potentially how it came about with my 10-speed bike, but there was some deception involved. But stealing can also and more often be done by fraud. By fraud. By fraud, I mean someone deceives in order to get the thing. Trickery. And it is this kind of stealing, theft by fraud, that appears to be the focus of these verses here. It is the more common form of stealing in a stable society. The less stable the society becomes, the more possible it is for looting and plunder, as we've seen in recent days. The forceful plunder of someone's things in a stable society, would be quickly discouraged by mutual concern. But stealing by fraud is difficult to detect and to prove because the, because the thief combines together what were called kindred sins. Kindred sins. What are kindred sins? They are the sins closely related to each other, like kin. They share a common ancestry. They appear around the same time, under the same circumstances. It seems that any time someone was, is going to go about stealing, he commits or she commits these other sins as well. When a person steals by fraud, he relies on cheating, which is a synonym for that second Second uh, phrase, a synonym, a synonym for false dealing. That's cheating. Plus, he often resorts to telling lies. These sins are both in the list. Basically, the thief uses guile to secure the thing that doesn't belong to him. And then to compound his guilt, he testifies after lying, after cheating, he testifies 
I'm innocent before God, which is the final sin listed there. So a thief uses deception to commit his crime, but also to hide his guilt. He is secretive, like a snake in the grass, a schemer. Jacob Milgram says these verses deal with furtive acts, which means sneaky acts, furtive. Calvin, John Calvin writes, under many coverings, men bury their misdeeds. And last, uh, oh, Matthew Poole says, in these verses, one sin draws on another. And Samuel Henry Kellogg comments, sin rarely goes alone. One sin, by almost a necessity, leads straight on to another sin. So the thief tries to take by fraud and then cover things up. It's the King Ahab and Queen Jezebel symptom. Coveting and then stealing Naboth's vineyard. You probably remember that story. They used false accusation eventually against Naboth to damage his reputation. He was accused of crime, false witnesses were presented, and he was executed. The king got Naboth's vineyard. It is King David coveting and stealing the wife of Uriah. If you read the instance of David having committed adultery with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, It constantly, constantly refers to the woman not as Bathsheba, but as the wife of Uriah. I found that curious. It is King David who not only impregnated Bathsheba, but then tried to cover up his misdeed by getting Uriah to come home from the battle to sleep with his wife. When Uriah refused to com- the comfort of his own bed and wife because he had great honor for the king, David determines to hide his sin then by having Uriah put in harm's way in the heat of battle where he was killed. Look, um, to cover up your sin is not at all like God. It's what we want to do, but it's not at all like God. It's not his way. He is true. He needs to cover up for nothing. He is holy. And if you remember, the point of all of this and all of these decrees is that we would become like him. Only when we do fall short, confession and repentance and forgiveness are the way he makes for the Christian to get right again. And you will fall short. Don't 
don't leave here today thinking that you're okay. Uh, let me say that differently. You're okay in Christ, and you can glom on to the Lord. He's your only hope. But don't leave here today thinking your life is fine right like it is. You do things right. You think things right. You interact appropriately. I tell you, that's a constant, constant challenge. And we're far short of being the type of people we should be or should become. The Apostle Paul, he takes these negative-sounding instructions against stealing and cheating and lying and false witness, and he turns them inside out, kind of, right? Because oftentimes, and I know how it happens, it even happens, and you can see it in congregants at times as they go downcast. If it sounds so negative, if something sounds so negative, okay, well, a lot of the commands are negative. That's okay. That's how God gave them to us. Well, the Apostle Paul, here's something positive. He takes negative instructions like stealing and and cheating and lying and false witness and that we're not supposed to do them, and he kind of turns them inside out so that we can see them in the positive light. What are we supposed to be doing? Because certainly, it's not only becoming like God, imitating God, is not only a matter of what we shouldn't do, but what we should do. So here's an example of Paul in the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. He aims directly at these same ideas that the Christian should become like God and listen to what he says, beginning in verse 20. He says, but that's not the way you learned Christ. He's talking to the Gentile Christians in Ephesus. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I know those words seem blah, generic in some ways. They're not as detailed as we like things to be. Too many words, abstract thought. But just like Leviticus is saying, right, in those bookmarks, Ephesians 4 says that we should be imitators of God. We've been recreated, and we are supposed to put on the new self, whatever that looks like. But I'll tell you, the new self has been made after the likeness of God in truth, righteousness, and holiness. So what the Hebrews were being told and instructed to do is also what we Christians are being told and instructed to do. Paul writes, though, in the positive here. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, next verse, 25. He says, therefore, and think about Leviticus where we are right now. Therefore, he says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And then also in verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There you go. Paul was teaching the Ephesians about God, and it was different from how they'd grown up. He says, Falsehood is out 
speaking truthfully with your neighbor is in. You belong to God. That's how he is. Stealing is out and honest labor with your own hands is in. Why? Because work is, is from God. It provides you with the ability to eat and live and take care of others who might have a need as well. You're no longer to be takers, but givers. This is God's way. He worked so that you could have life and sustenance. God owns and he gives to others from it. He is no thief. So, um, this idea of stealing from other people, what's not ours, taking it for ourselves, it can bring up some difficult questions to answer. And I know one question in particular that has come through our minds in the past couple of years is what if the government, right, steals from you and your children and grandchildren by legislation, is it appropriate, and this is where you come in, is it appropriate to retrieve it back by taking checks that they send in the mail and depositing them into your account? Or if we do that, if we take these government checks and use them for ourselves, have you just become part of the den of thieves? I know we've wrestled with that, some of us. It's still a possibility that some will have to wrestle with it in the form of college debts being paid. What do you do with that? Well, I think the way I ordered the scenario suggests to you my view. I feel that since the government stole your money in the first place, that's how I put it, I think cashing those checks and using the funds productively for the future is like taking your money back. I could be, I'm open to conversation on but that's how I look at it. And I kind of view it like, like this. If the police uh, had contacted me because they had broken up a bike-stealing ring in the state of Wisconsin, and they found thousands upon thousands of bikes, I want my bike back, right? I want it back. However, I'll take the bike they're able to give me if mine is not found among the thousands, It's not so much a question of what right the government has to do any of this. It's more of a question of, are you stealing or aren't you? And how do you wrestle with those things? Third point, and this is probably going to uh, hit closest to home, is if the person is not imitating God, when that person steals and cheats and lies and claims innocent, innocence in the name of God, then who is he being like? Who are you being like if you do these things? The devil. You're being like the devil. Jesus said it very plainly in John eight forty four. 
You are, he was speaking to the Pharisees. You are, your, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, it's, it's in the devil's character to lie. He's, he's dad of it. It's who he is. His children will be like him. He's also a murderer, Jesus said. The devil desires to then destroy the good of life and, and even sabotage God's kingdom. That's what he likes. Jesus was in this conversation with Pharisees when he accused them of being sons of the devil. Churchmen. Why them? What problem was Jesus having with these religious men? The problem was they were acting like the devil. They kept coming against God. They kept coming against his ways. They were always opposing Jesus for the sake of their own desires or status or or privilege in the community. Did they lie about Jesus? Listen to this. Did they lie about Jesus? Sometimes. But they actually quoted him correctly at times as well. The thing is, they'd use whatever facts or non-facts that would gain them an advantage. There's a lesson here. You see, Satan uses true things to manipulate, too. His bottom line, his bottom line is only that he be contrarian to God, against God. Satan uses facts at times or outright lies. Doesn't matter. Whatever sticks. The devil's goal is to prop up his own cause. To prop up his own cause. And his cause is antithetical to the Lord's cause. He wants to steal heaven, to, to kill God if it were possible. For sure the devil wants people to turn their hearts from God Almighty... And it's in this way. People, too, will share facts to disrupt and dismantle what is good. They will gossip and slander with real evidence in order to ruin a family member or church or co-worker And though the facts may be true, their motives are to steal and do harm. You catching that? Though the facts may be true, their motives are to steal and to do harm. There is larceny in that heart. It is Pharisaic and devilish. The thing they intend to steal is not money, no. It's not goods or land, so to speak. But they want to take away the person's reputation or the person's position of authority or some other incalculable thing. 
Hard to calculate it. The damage. So maybe they learn of a misdeed committed by the person they intend to harm. Or maybe they interpret something normal as if it were a misdeed. Doesn't matter. Whatever sticks. In either case, they pass the lie around. Such thieves have served their father well by destroying whole churches. Or they've driven a pastor from a pulpit or abused a family member or co-worker behind his or her back. What do they gain from it? Well, you tell me. I think they take pride in gaining a following of people at times. Or find satisfaction by proving themselves better than another. Or accolades for knowing so much more than this person or that person that they've chosen to pick at. But what does the Heavenly Father think of them? God is up front with people. He is truthful. He wants to build up, and he he doesn't deal falsely. Listen, um, you must not be someone who subverts and steals another's things, including a reputation. God would not do that. His character has no guile in it. He does not slither nor hiss. He does no sin and therefore doesn't fall back on kindred sins to cover for bad character. Now there are scriptural examples of people who tried to take away these non-material things too. It only takes brief reflection to remember the time Miriam and Aaron called into question Moses' authority. They picked at him for having married a Cushite woman. He should not have. But they were off base. God called all three before him at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He was not pleased with these two accusers. They were acting like some other accuser of the brethren. And God's anger kindled against them, it says. Miriam became a leper. Then there was the Levite, Korah, who raised up a group of men and their families, a group of men and their families, in opposition to the leadership of Moses. Korah wanted to take some of Moses' authority and spread it around more evenly. He said some truthful things like, well, the whole congregation is God's congregation. We are all holy. God is among us. But he also accused Moses of going too far and exalting himself. It was a church, it was a church split Korah caused. God hated it and caused the ground to open and swallow up whole families of dissenters. There is the glaring story of King David and his son Absalom. Absalom held a grudge against David and his brothers by different mothers. 
The grudge began when David's firstborn son, Amnon, raped, raped Absalom's full sister, Tamar. Absalom got revenge against Amnon at a gathering two years later, and it caused a great divide between he and David's household. Absalom fled to his mother's father, who happened to be the king of Geshur. He was protected there for three years. Eventually, Absalom returned to Jerusalem by David's permission. But, but he began to persuade the people away from King David's rule. Listen to what it says here. 2 Samuel 15, 1 through 6. I want to read it. The last sentence is the most important sentence for you to hear. It says, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when and when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there's no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land, then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. What a great guy. He really understands us. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. That's the line. Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Did you catch that? Their hearts were supposed to what? Belong to God? and then to honor King David. Absalom, what was he doing? He was standing outside by the city gate saying, well, you're not going to get a lot of justice in there. Shoot, I really believe in your cause, friend. All these kind words. He wanted to be the leader, is what he wanted. He wanted to undo something David had established. He would later attempt to actually take the crown for himself, says in 2 Samuel 15, 12, the conspiracy grew strong, okay? He was having some success. The conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. He didn't succeed. He lost the war and his life in his attempt. I would say don't take too much confidence that you stand on the side of truth. Your heart may be deceiving you. And don't hide behind the idea that you can't be guilty for doing wrong because you've spoken true facts. What? You can't be guilty for doing wrong because you spoke true facts? Truth is built on morality. And if you are being immoral with the use of true facts, you are being immoral. How true 
it is that bad church people like good gossip. Just because a thing can be true doesn't mean that you use it destructively. To do so means you are trying to sabotage sabotage God's will. You are being a serpent, aren't you? When a person sabotages, he or she deliberately damages, deliberately obstructs good relationships and good efforts. As I was reading these verses in different commentaries, two commentators referred to uh, the romanticist William Blake And they gave the poet credit for putting his finger on it, right on the point. This is what Blake wrote. He said, said, a truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent. A truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent. So be imitators of God and not the devil. And be especially careful with your truth-telling. If you feel a little giddy, here's here's maybe a little measurement thing. I know it works for me or has in the past. If you feel a little giddy and secretive when speaking of others, like you shouldn't be doing this maybe, but tell me more. If If you're getting a little excited about this new news about somebody, then beware to hear it, first of all, but then beware to bite your tongue lest you steal someone's reputation. This especially goes for what you and your spouse discuss. Hear this. You and your spouse, you're not, you're not immune from these problems, and you, and you will suffer damage by doing these things. Because when we think we're safe, we can talk with our spouse about almost anything, can't we? And they'll keep our secret. But if the two of you set about, what, stealing someone's reputation together, even if it's just between the two of you, God will not approve it. The conversations, they'll infect your children, I guarantee it. They watch, they hear, even when you think they're just playing little kids. They kind of know what's going on. And the older they get, the more they get it. And you will corrupt them. You'll corrupt them and potentially lose them to your religion. When you partake in these kindred sins, you breed. You've got two things. You breed either vipers or good children who will disrespect your manners. They will disrespect how you approached God and people. We all have parents that we look back upon and uh, can find fault with our parents. And they do some great things for us as, as children and men and women, but they also do the greatest damage, okay? Or have the potential to do the greatest damage. Be very careful how you and your wife talk husbands. Furthermore, husbands, when you do these things with your spouse, she will not respect you as much. 
even if she goes along with it in the moment, she knows what she's doing too. So be careful there because she might find in your example of sin permission to sin in some other ways that you won't like as much. Or, better, she might close you down. I don't want to hear it. Don't talk to me about these things, please. That would be good. That would be like faithful Abigail when she did right even though her husband, Nabal, was a fool. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that... uh, this um, preparation, this time in your word, and the, the compilation of this sermon um, would have and does, uh, will do some good in your congregation, that we would benefit from it, that we would reflect upon who we are before you and before men. In Jesus' name, amen. Will the deacon